We're going to continue in our series, All Up in Your Feelings. And I would suggest that if you missed any part of this series, to go back, listen to it online, because obviously in this body we have feelings and emotions and thoughts, and we want to navigate uh, through and those things through the Word of God. Today um, we're going to be speaking about anger. Angry about what is the title of today's message. I don't know um, what gets you angry. Um, there are different things that trigger uh, each one of us. I think if I was to say what really gets me angry uh, from other people is when someone deliberately tries to get on my nerves. It, it, it is one thing for someone to, to do something and it be annoying. It's another thing to have conflict and, and it, you know, does something on the inside. But it is almost like psychological warfare when someone intentionally presses buttons to get you angry. I think above all things, that makes me so angry. And usually, the people that can press your buttons are the people that know you the best. It's one of those weapons that are sometimes used, and, and we all um, do that. But um, today, Oh, we're going to be speaking about different types of anger. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11. I'm reading out of the CSB. And as usual, I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Mark 11, starting at verse 15. And it reads this way. They came to Jerusalem and went into the temple they came into Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, he would go out they would go out of the city. Father, we, we thank you. And as we uh, just navigate through this subject of anger, Lord, we would ask that you would do something inside of us, that we would look introspectively at what is going on inside of our lives and how we handle um, this very topic and what are those things that uh, get us angry, Lord. We thank you for emotions. Emotions 
in a, in a way, just help us to know that we're alive. But at the same time, because we have the Holy Spirit, our emotions can be under self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, you help us to navigate through every part of our lives and those things that are internal and that are also shown externally. So we, we ask that you would do that in us today as we hear um, and receive food um, for this day. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, as we uh, just talk about the topic of anger, one of the things that we know uh, is that there are different types of anger. Um, there, is, there is rage, right? Rage is, is that feeling that comes over us and we can be out of control and we can respond to things in an explosive manner. I, I think about um, when I was younger, even as a believer, there would be times that I would go through rage and have fits of rage. And afterwards, I would always kind of reflect on my behavior. And one of the things I would recognize is how dangerous rage can be. Uh, in, in a fit of rage, we can do something that changes our lives or the lives of others forever. Another uh, anger that we have sometimes is, is suppressed anger. Those things that we have going on inside and it just seems to build and build and it is actually attached to other emotions but it, it kind of wells up in us as um, anger and most definitely, that is not something that can stay there. At some point, it uh, displays itself on the outside. But then there is another anger. There is righteous anger. There is righteous, what we would call indignation, where what we're angry about and how we respond to that thing that we're angry about is not only um, appropriate, but it is proper. So when we see Jesus go into the temple and start flipping tables, uh, it's not the picture we normally have about Jesus. But one of the things that we want to do as we look at the Bible is look at the totality of what the Word of God says on every subject. We are not in the position to say, well, I want to view it this way. What does the text say? So even in this uh, area where we recognize Jesus did this, we have to understand that is part of who he is. And not only is it part of who he is, because he has never sinned, what he did was right and it was good. So let's just consider for a minute what Jesus saw when he went into the outer courts of the temple. 
He was there for Passover, and Passover is a time when Jews would come from all over and go to Jerusalem and would go to the temple. It was the holiest time of the year where they celebrated being freed from Egypt and all that God did and how the final plague was the angel of death passing over the houses that had the blood of a lamb over their doorposts. So it was a commemorative time. It was a celebration. It was remembering who their God was and that he was their deliverer and the future hope that he would deliver them. So this was a big deal. And people came Uh, They even say that it could be upwards of a quarter of a million sacrifices done within that time. So imagine that scene and Jesus going into these outer courts. The outer courts were called the courts of the Gentiles. There were different levels that people could go or not go depending on who they were. And then Gentiles could not go past that area. So think for a minute. It is where Gentiles came that wanted to know the God of Israel. And what was on display? What were uh, the things that Jesus saw? He, what was the things that he heard? And what were the smells that were there? There were tables set up. And there were all these merchants and animals. What did he hear? He heard bartering and sheep and the sounds of coins. How could that satisfy the needs of the people? What should he have seen? He should have seen a people on their knees. He should have seen hands raised and eyes to the heavens. He should have heard of the prayers of the people. He should have heard songs of praise. He should have smelled incense. So he comes and he overturns these tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. The money changers were there because people coming from all around had to exchange their money for currency that uh, was going to be acceptable in the temple. And, And one of the things that was there was like the temple shekel. So they had to change to make the money suitable to be able to buy sacrifices because they did not want to travel sometimes hundreds of miles to be able to buy um, an animal, to, to be able to bring an animal, because imagine you bring an animal that long way, that animal had to go and be inspected to see if it was without spot or blemish. So uh, some think that that was even part of the scheme that you would bring, oh, no, this animal's not acceptable, buy the animal here. Th- those merchants and money changers were not inside that place without the permission of the religious rulers of that day. So uh, even when it speaks of the, the tables with the doves being flipped over, the dove 
was what the poor person would be able to purchase and bring as an offering. So now these prices were inflated. The money changers would make their profits and they would sell these uh, animals at a high price, kind of like when you go to the movies and spend $15 for a soda and some popcorn, a $2 item, which all of us have been tempted and maybe have like, Listen, I'm bringing my own stuff. I'm wearing a coat in the summer. I'm not suggesting you do that. It, it was the same kind of thing, but we're not talking about going in and seeing a movie. We're talking about entering the temple of God and wanting to present something to the Lord in that special time of year. When we view that, we just have to even take a minute on a sidebar and say, what about our church? What, what would happen if Jesus walked through our church? Would he be happy with what he's found. Are all the nations welcome? Uh, do some members flee to church um, hiding from their sin during the week and, and just go to church for religious duty or, or reputation? Or would he find us worshiping, singing songs that rightly tell us who he is, Hearts wanting to know him, ears attentive to his words of life. In my heart and mind, that's what he would find. I, I believe that he would be well pleased. Listen, we're the church. The, the, the church is filled with people. <laughs> people be peopling, right? But we are God's people filled with the Holy Ghost, wanting to please our master. But Jesus sees this scene, and Jesus gets angry. Don't confuse that with Jesus losing his temper. He, he did not lose his temper, and anger actually is not a sin. Scripture tells us to be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. This was not something that he saw and got emotional and just like acted out. That's not what happened. He's been to the temple many times. He's been to the temple during Passover. But the text says that, that Jesus cleansed the temple and he taught. And as, and as I thought about that, I, I, he, he came in and he cleaned it up first. This is going to stop. And then he taught. Isn't that just like what he does in our personal lives? It says that he was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? What the 
non-Jewish people saw was this scene, and obviously, would that rightly show them what it is for the true worship of God? Wow. And then it says that um, he said, this is supposed to be my house of prayer for all the nations. You have made it a den of thieves, a place where like robbers uh, hang out and, and, and find security after they're doing what they're doing inside the temple. As we read this, we need to also consider the timing that this was done. This was done during Passion Week, where Jesus is on his way to the cross. He starts out by cleaning the temple when he comes in. But this is also not the first time that Jesus did this. In John chapter 2, the first miracle that Jesus does in a semi-private setting was turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. The next thing he does is he goes to Jerusalem because it was Passover time. And it says that when he was there, uh, the Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went, this is John chapter 2, starting at verse 13, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen, he also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the table. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. This is not the mall. This is the house of God. It's funny because when I hear... Like, Jesus cleansed the temple, and then he taught. I just thought, like, like <laughs> what if during fellowship time we just flipped over the bagels? <laughs> Say, all right, now let's go to second service. <laughs> Would people um, view that as being in the flesh or in the spirit? Well, we know when Jesus did it, what it was. It begs the question, what is it that you hate? Because the things you hate are the things that will get you angry. We're called to hate what God hates. God gives us a list in Proverbs 6, starting at verse 16. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among the brothers. What do we hate? 
Do we hate the sin and the lostness in the world? Because too often we are casual about these things. We, we see these things all around us, and it doesn't concern us or anger us. And sometimes we're engaged in it or accept it, and that is not what God had called us to do. Some things should make us angry. Don't give in to the culture. We know the Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Baal? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? We get angry when we see others doing wrong. That's good. And that's right. But the text also tells us, make sure you recognize in that plank you have in your eye while you're trying to take the splinter about out of someone else's eye. We should be angry about those things. But there's a bigger question. Do you get angry about some of your own ways, about your personal sin? We should be angry about sin. Sin that's out there, but also sin that is in here. Psalm 119, 104 says, gain understanding from your precepts. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. I read a quote that said, destructive anger will be transformed into righteous anger as we grow in hatred of evil and love of good. To be righteously angry, we must be consumed by the holy fear of God. You know when we get angry? We often get angry when it's personal. When someone hurts me, when I've been violated, when I've been hurt, when I've been attacked, that's when we usually get angry. But anger has other emotions attached to it, things that cause the anger. One quote says, anger is an expression of frustration, fear, and hurt. And these feelings turn into anger in order to disguise what we are really feeling. Anger is a form of dishonest emotional expression. Often we get angry in the flesh. What makes us angry and how we respond when we are angry should be in the spirit. We are to always exercise the fruit of the spirit. In Galatians 5, it says, I say then walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh 
is against the spirit. And the spirit's desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. So that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then it starts talking about the different things that are the works of the flesh. Immorality, moral impurity, promiscuality, adultery, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. These all come from the flesh. But we are to exercise the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we get angry usually when we are violated. Jesus got angry when others were violated. When he saw what was going on in the house of God, he got angry. But how did Jesus respond when he was personally violated? When he was lied on, when he was mistreated, when he was hurt, when he was killed. Luke 23, it tells us that two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him, him being Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And then they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood, in a, stood around watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, and they came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. See, when we get angry, it's when we're violated. Jesus gets angry when others are violated. And when the violation came his way, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing in the sense that they don't know that I'm God. But they knew what they were doing in another sense, that they were killing an innocent man. But he asked for their forgiveness. And then those around them, they took it personal. They got angry. They thought about their personal loss, their selfish desires. That's why he was led to the cross in the first place by these wicked men. They riled up the crowd and they shouted, crucify him. Why didn't Jesus get angry? Why? When he was violated. Because he went to the cross for me and for you. He wasn't forced to the cross. He gave his life willingly. He says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down on my own accord. 
like a sheep led to the slaughter. Yes, he is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world, but he is also the great shepherd. He is also the Lion of Judah. He's not defenseless. He is almighty God. He is the Lord of hosts. He could call down a legion of angels. But he doesn't even need angels to fight his fight for him. When they came to the garden to arrest him, they said, who's Jesus? He said, I am he. And they fell to the ground. He doesn't need angels to defend him. He is God. He did not get angry because he knew what he was doing. He knew who he was doing it for, for you and I. What do we do with our personal offenses? What are the things that really should get us angry? He gave his life. For you and I, the transgressions that we have done against the Lord as we have come to him and repented, he paid that price for each and every one of us. You can come up, worship team. Psalm 22, written by David way before Jesus came to this earth gives us a prophecy of what Jesus was going to do. Like I said, he was slain from the foundation of the world. So the Spirit put in a man's heart to pen what Jesus would go through. He said, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their head. He relies on the Lord. Let him save them. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure in my mother's breasts. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because the stress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong runs from Bashan, encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You've put me in the dust of death. But dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierce my hands and my feet. You can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divide my garments among themselves. They cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength comes quickly to help me. It was penned by David so long before these events took place. What a wonderful Savior we serve. 
that it wouldn't anger him that God has come into his creation to save you and me. What angers him should anger us when others are mistreated. The sin in us and all around us are the things that should anger us. I'm going to ask our deacons to come, our ushers to prepare for us to take communion. Corinthians, it tells us, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Before we take the elements, the ushers will send the rows one by one. Communion is for those that belong to the family of God, those that have given their life to the Lord. And before we partake in it, as we listen to the song, we need to reflect, where am I with you, Lord? I want to approach you with clean hands and a pure heart. If you are not a believer, washed in the blood of the Lamb, we would ask that you would refrain from taking communion. Parents, if your child is young and does not fully understand what it is, the privilege that we have, and what it symbolizes to take communion, please have them wait until that understanding is there for them. It's something that we take serious, and it is an honor to be able to take and partake in the Lord's table, what his body and blood Represent and what is done for us. Let's reflect on who he is and what he's done and how these things did not get him angry, but he took it on willingly with joy that you and I can come to this table this day. Our deacons will have the elements here and ushers will call each row up. After you receive your elements, please go back to your seat, reflect on the words being sung in the song, and I'll come back up and we'll take communion together. Amen.